Good day, my name is Charlie Rose, Senior Vice President and Dean here at City Year. Today I am having the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Max Clow. Uh, spent 10 years here at City Year and just published a book, wrote a book called Race and Social Change, A Quest, A Study, A Call to Action. Dr. Clow, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, glad to be back. Wow, Max, the book looks incredible. Thank you. Tell me first, before we get into the book, tell me a little bit about your new job at uh, the New Politics Leadership Academy as a Chief Program Officer. How's it going? Great. It's fantastic. We are recruiting and supporting alumni of service programs, both military veterans and alumni of civilian service programs like City Year and AmeriCorps and Peace Corps, to consider becoming more politically engaged. Excellent. Run for office, or and uh, it's very exciting. We're we have our answering the call recruitment program that has engaged 200 people in 15 different cities. We're about to launch the next round of that, and um, it's really there's a lot of folks who want to step up. It's exciting. Congratulations, and congratulations on the book. Talk to me a little bit about how the book came to be. Sure. So there's a few answers. One is very honestly, it's been a lifelong quest. Uh, I grew up a privileged white guy, always just kind of passionately curious about what is true about race and social change in America mm -hmm. and just always had a sense of I don't get it um, and it's very important and very complex and uh, I need to understand it. And so there were years of trying to find opportunities to uh, learn more about it and mm -hmm. uh, connect across boundaries of differences. And that personal quest led ultimately to a doctorate at the Ed School at Harvard where that morphed into a rigorous empirical research study uh, to try and understand. Uh, I stumbled on a youth leadership program that does this activity that allowed me to study all of this in a really rigorous kind of way. Mm. And then I spent 10 years here at City Year trying to, you know, not just study it, but, but make a positive difference, addressing issues around inequality and, you know, what we're doing here at City Year. And then so much was happening in the country around race, I just felt like I had to tell this story. So it's a really timely book. And it's really important that people are, I think, it's really important that people are, you know, wrestling with these issues and uh, raising their own awareness and really kind of figuring out what does it mean in my community, what does it mean in the institutions we work in. As you said, you did 10 years here at City Year. We are committed to inclusivity, social justice for all, Ubuntu. Mm -hmm. How does any of your experience here, how did that help inform the book, if at all? Grad school was a long opportunity to think deeply about these issues. But then the question is really, how do you, you know, in concrete, pragmatic terms, make a difference? And City Year is an amazing example of that. City Year in particular, a national service in general, of people dedicating a year of service in this really kind of data-driven rigorous approach to transform a problem. Um, and the combination of being part of an organization trying to do that on such a large scale, while also trying to hold the inner transformation of the people do, doing that service, City Year was my chance to really experiment with how do we hold those things in an integrated way. Mm. Um, and you know, City Year is always focused on the, the uh, core member development, but I do think we tried to bring a little more you know, rigor and sustained focus on that and help people understand that the work of serving others and the work of transforming ourselves are actually too interconnected to separate. And that is kind of the deepest insight that comes from the book and I do think my time at City Year was part of the process of understanding that kind of deepest level of insight from this research. Race and social change is not a problem to solve 
and it's not an argument to win. Mm. It's a community to heal. I'd like to ask you, are there key points in the book that you'd like to highlight that really are reflective for you, but also you hope are reflective for others? Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, part of it is being able to see a whole system that is separated from itself and just very clearly recognize, wow, there's a whole system that at, at some deep level has never been separate. It can only be unified and, and is at the deepest level whole, but the parts don't see themselves that way and they are disconnected from other parts. And so the system doesn't understand itself. Mm. And that, that's a kind of powerful consciousness to arrive at. Um, and, and, and the work of organizations like City Year, it's not so much forging new connections between parts of our country that haven't talked to each other before, as it is awakening people to a new level of understanding that we have always been interconnected. We just didn't understand how that worked. And I think that's kind of the, uh, a powerful insight from this that can apply to everybody's life. Max, can you uh, give us a synopsis or, or really uh, crystallize the thesis of your book if you had to sum it up? Yeah, the book can't be you know, characterized in one single sentence. Right. But the po possibility of the book is that I stumbled on an activity, an educational activity that falls in line, in a long line of classic social psychology experiments. Mm -hmm. And I, I was doing research into youth leadership and found a program that does a separation exercise, uh, which includes diverse teenagers. And one morning, the, the kids wake up at this program and they're suddenly they're separated into different groups, whites, Asians, Jews, Latinos, blacks, and they're told not to talk to members of other groups and not to make eye contact with members of other groups. And then they go into breakfast and the white kids get double servings and a big table to sit at and every other group lower in the hierarchy gets less food and you know, so the black kids have almost nothing to eat and, and have to sit on the floor. So they create this segregated, hierarchical, very unjust system and then let the kids challenge it. And so here was a chance to study an entire kind of civil rights movement in a Petri dish. And what if we could research three of those and kind of see what themes emerge. And so it's this chance to study an entire system undergoing a process of change in a way that in some really remarkable ways mirrors real life events. Mm. And so uh, it's less a thesis than what if we had this whole new perspective on how our individual experience and our group experiences are actually part of this much larger system experience that we can understand that level as well in a new, in a new way. So the book goes very deep in studying and exploring the Camp Anytown experience, that experiment, that social experiment. And it talks about the three different perspectives. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and, and why that is central and seminal in the book? Sure. So the idea is there's three levels of analysis. There's the interpersonal level, and that's individuals who are negotiating authority dynamics with their boss or their subordinates or their parents or their children or you know this works across multiple contexts or the horizontal kind of peer relationships of you know conformity so it's obedience and conformity and then there's also a second level which is intergroup dynamics you know which is uh, you know one group versus another group and there's classic social psychology experiments that explore those dynamics but then there's a third higher level which is what happens with an entire system which is groups of groups all of which have the hierarchy of groups and what happens when they're all undergoing a process of change. And with that, you know, step up to that third level, suddenly you get something that really simulates the real worlds 
much more closely than the other levels and allows us to investigate how does that stuff work in ways that start to feel very close to the uh, events we saw in history of the real life civil rights movement and the, the sort of events we see in our communities every day. What are some of your hopes for folks who read the book? What are your some of audiences you, you really hope are attracted to the book? And then what are some of your hopes about when they read the book, what kind of process they go through or what kind of reflection they go through or what happens to folks? I'm yeah. curious. So I, I really do feel like I wrote the book for any engaged citizen who cares about these issues. And you know, it came out, out of an academic dissertation, but I really worked hard to make it easily accessible. Mm -hmm. um, so that it is for educators who are working in diverse classrooms, or policymakers who are working in diverse communities, or um, law enforcement officers, or uh, you know, anybody who uh, is engaged in American civic life and cares about these issues. I hope that it finds that audience. And then when they read the book, what's your, what's your hope then? Yeah. One of the deepest findings of the book is that our inner ways of being actually create the systems in which we are immersed, which sounds very philosophical and esoteric, but it actually emerged from this research. And it means the world we live in today can be understood of as a manifestation of our consciousness around these issues today. And if we can shift people's consciousness, then the systems we're immersed in can start to shift. Um, and so my hope is it helps a lot of people kind of step up to a higher level of consciousness about the systemic nature of these issues and how we continue, you know, or perpetuate or contribute to systemic issues. Because with that higher consciousness, we, can, we have more choice mm. about how to be with those things. Yeah, it's fascinating because I, what I'm seeing right now in my life and in my work is high levels of tension, fear, anxiety, um, otherness and othering yes. of people. There's a rise in anti-Semitic activity. There's a rise in anti-Muslim activity. Yes. We are a society that is grappling with who's, who's welcome and who's not. And so... I, it seems like the book is incredibly timely. Your sense of where we are right now and what you're seeing? I mean, a few answers. Uh, one is we are a country that doesn't know itself. I think we are structurally disconnected from each other. And so we don't know each other and we find it very hard to even have civil conversations across many lines of difference. Uh, and, and that's part of it. And I also think, you know, part of the book is there's this system at work and it's actually very hard to understand how that system operates. Even if you have good intentions and don't want these dynamics that we're seeing, even if you don't want it, it's hard to see how it all works and how in our um, blindness we can contribute to it. Mm. So, uh, you know, and I really do think, you know, Michael Brown and Alan Casey, when they talked about City Year, said the civil rights movement, there was a time when it was about dismantling laws and, and changing these things, and now it's about changing what's in people's hearts. And I do think that's true. We really need more people to understand at the deeper levels how this stuff unfolds and how it works. Because in the absence of that clarity, which doesn't necessarily stem from malice or racism, but is still blindness, it's very hard to transform anything when we don't understand how it works. Mm. I also have to say the whole idea here is around Part of the personal call to action in the book is about undertaking a personal journey of mm. awakening. Mm. And 
in my studies of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, the journey is only done when you share the lessons of your journey. And uh, part of the reason I wrote the book was, although I had studied all this stuff and thought about it, my own journey was not really done until I was able to write it down and, and share it with other people. And so there's a tremendous sense of coming to a conclusion of an important kind of piece of spiritual work in life. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. We hope that our core members, as part of their idealist journey, will read this and many other pieces. What, what, talk a little bit about the idealist journey and how the call to action you talk about could influence that. My whole career has really been about working in the service movement but trying to bring this focus on individual development to folks engaged in that. You know, I, I chose not to pursue academia where people are in class all day long and they're full-time students. It's how do we uh, uh, um, create an experience for people who are out there on the front lines every day in these really intense, demanding, challenging efforts to serve. Mm. How do we give them a space to turn inwards and pay attention to their own journey and, and hopefully you know, kind of intentionally work on themselves while they're so focused on others. And, you know, my time at City Year was part of understanding the power of that and the possibility of that. But I also think, I hope the book helps more people understand the need to hold those things together, um, to, to have this really rigorous focus on helping others, but also to, to consistently practice turning inwards and recognizing that we're, wherever we are, we're on our own journey and we need to do our own work along the way. Mm. So we are focused here at City Year on national service and on education reform uh, and really idealism in the education space. Um, how do racial dynamics play into both of those things and how can our work really um, bring a common ground or bring common understanding or just heighten folks' awareness around these issues, do you think? Yeah. Uh, you know, the schools that City Year works in are kind of high needs urban schools with a lot of kids of color. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just responsible practice um, that anybody who steps into those spaces is kind of conscious of where they're at in their own understanding of race and the country and um, have consciousness around their privilege or uh, the ways they've been oppressed and, and have, are working on it. You know, I don't know if anybody uh, is finished with that when they're working with kids, but we have to be engaged in that work. Otherwise, we can be um, sending messages to the students we work with that are not healthy and not the stuff we want to do. So it's just responsible practice for us to be serious about this. And I also think national service I talk about it in the book is it, it can be a public policy solution if the problem is the country does not know itself and, and we don't have the relationships across these lines of difference that we need for people to just have a accurate understanding of the reality of this country and um, the, the, the decency of so many people in this country. National service is a public policy uh, solution that could really transform civic life in this country. Question about your dreams. So dreams you have for our society, uh, Dr. King, and you've wo woven, woven quotes through the book from ta Coates to Joseph Campbell to Rosa Parks to other folks, right? So question, uh, dreams you have about really working towards the beloved community. 
there's a simple answer and then a harder answer. The simple answer is, I, and I mentioned in the book, my vision is this book is read by groups of diverse people and, and the reading of this book helps people deepen their understanding of how race and social change happens and this underlying wholeness that we've talked about. It gives them a chance to experience that. The, the harder answer is I've been working on this I call it a spiritual discipline of trying to work beyond hope and fear. I, I have a lot of hopes about what this book could do. I have a lot of fears about what it could do. I'm working on just what is right action and what is um, kind of right speech and being detached from the outcomes. Uh, it's a Buddhist influence there. It, absolutely, because, um, uh, you know, I, I could have easily I, I chosen not to write it out of fears that it wouldn't live up to things or that it would cause problems in my life, but it's... Uh, I'm trying to live with integrity and say these things that I've spent years studying and hope and just detach from what it does out in the world. How we partner with schools and educators, teachers all over the country, how would you think an educator would utilize your book to sort of inform the experience of students or to help students um, understand what they're going through in, in, the, in society. Just put, like put yourself in the shoes of an educator, which yeah. you are already. Right. I, you know, a key idea, and it really informed all the work I did here at City Year, is what does it mean to really approach this with curiosity and vulnerability? And my vision is, you know, teachers could take parts of this book, ideas from this book, and then invite people to share their questions, what comes up for them. And uh, uh, you know, if you did that in diverse spaces, the whole idea of this is that these challenges are in the room. It's not like anybody is disconnected from this. So can we surface it and work with it as it lives in each of our classrooms, each of our families, and each of our organizations, um, and just explore it with a new level of courage and openness and genuine curiosity uh, in the hopes that with a deeper understanding of how everybody is experiencing mm -hmm. this, we can collectively find our way to better places. Give me some specifics about the call to action and what you imagine or hope that folks will challenge themselves to do based on reading the book. So that chapter is written as a dual call to action, meaning it has both a personal dimension and a national dimension. and. The personal dimension is based on the fact that every one of us wakes up every morning and kind of all we have control over is ourselves and that's how we encounter all these issues. So each of us personally has to uh, uh, undertake a journey of awakening is mm. the, the language from the book. Yep. And that looks different for each of us and I stay away from saying here's the, you know, the one you know, thing everybody has to do, because the truth is everybody's at different places in their understanding. Everybody has different levels of comfort around this. For some white people, it might just be striking up a, a conversation with a person of color because they have no people of color in their network. For somebody else, it might be running for political office because they're deeply immersed in this and, and really want to uh, step up to that level of influence. Wherever you are, only you know, but the point is sitting in this kind of comfortable uh, silos where we are not connecting across those boundaries guarantees our ignorance and we need to intentionally step out of that in ways that make us uncomfortable. And then at the national level, national service is such a powerful response to so many of these issues. And I make it very clear there's a lot of different ways to work on this stuff. These challenges are everywhere. This is not the only path. But I do think if you're thinking about 
uh, how do we have a really nationwide impact on the civic life of this country, it is hard for me to think of an approach more powerful than national service. Last question is, if you could pick five or six people throughout history who could read the book, they could be alive or, or no longer with us, to read the book and then have a dinner table conversation, who would they be? I was not prepared for that one, Charlie. I'm trying to, trying to throw some curveballs. I haven't thought about that, but my dream would be that diverse figures from history, uh, thinking like a Martin Luther King and a uh, President Johnson, the people at the margins and the people with power, mm. if they were to read this and both of them were to say, that is true, like, uh, I, I see my experience in this and see how they fit together, that would be the most gratifying thing. That mm. Everybody kind of sees their own truth of their journey reflected in this and has a new understanding of how it all works together. That would be the most gratifying thing I could imagine. So it won't get into our final podcast here, but who is going to be afraid of this book? And maybe it's Bev because you're going to be away <laughs> for so long. Bev's is Mac's wife, but, you know. Obviously, anybody who is <clears throat> an active racist, xenophobe, you know, um, actively hating other people, I hope this is challenging to them. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I hope it serves to uh, challenge the narrative they put out there. But I do have to say the idea of the book is an, it's an invitation to a higher consciousness, not a attempt to directly challenge some existing ideology. Like, there, you know, uh, so there's not mm -hmm. some, this wasn't written against mm -hmm. anybody. It was kind of an attempt to step beyond the way we normally think about things and invite people to see a, a higher perspective. I think it's really important that aspect of the invitation to all um, and that everyone has the right and has the ability and has the freedom to have any kind of mindset they want and that can change um, and there's some really notable examples both recently and in, in the past so I think that's yeah. I, I appreciate that perspective. And there's a, one of my favorite quotes is from Albert Einstein who says, no problem can be solved at the same level of thinking that created it. And I do think there's a lot of people who really wish our civic life looked very different, but don't know how to get out of it. And I do hope this is kind of a new, uh, different level of understanding things that hopefully makes some concrete action possible. Something reminded me of your book and the experiment the other day. I went to a conference and they, um, at one point in the conference, they were splitting us into groups. And so everybody on their name tag had a different color. I had purple. And, and then when we went into this other room, all the purples got together, all the orange got together, all the magentas and all the reds and all the yellows. And I found the purple people going, when the yellow would come over, it was like, where's the yellow? Could, you're not with us. You go over there. You're exactly. somewhere else. It, you're not. Instantly. It was amazing. Instantly. It was amazing how yep. fast it happened. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's an everyday thing here for us. So stepping up to the balcony for a second, three questions you want to leave the audience with based on your book, based on the context of 2017, based on race in America. The whole book kind of grew out of 
my living with this one question of what's true about race and social change. And I still feel like I'm living with it. I talk about it in the book of, you know, I would never say I'm done. I haven't solved this. Uh, this isn't the answer to everything. But I do feel like I lived with that question long enough that I got to a place where there was enough to put into a book. But I still understand myself as, as living with that question. And what if we all live with it instead of uh, arguing that my perspective is right and your perspective is wrong? Or what if we showed up uh, and tried to be with that question together? And in encountering other people's understandings of that, I think we might, you know, find our way to a different place around this. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Dr. Max Clow, Race and Social Change, A Quest, A Study, A Call to Action. Buy it, read it, study it, share it. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy.